0: Welcome to Season 4 of Elevate from Elevation Barn. I'm Ted Guidotti. The most important lessons in life are the ones we don't see coming. Elevate opens our eyes and minds to new ways of looking at the world and ourselves by turning the experiences of some of the world's most accomplished leaders into conversations. We never know exactly where these conversations will lead, which is why they always surprise us, uncovering unlikely lessons for how to have a greater impact on ourselves, our work, and our planet. Everyone likes a little recognition. But recognition can also be a trap, a life crutch, instead of a life catalyst. Because recognition brings a certain kind of confidence, comfort, a sense that you've arrived someplace, instead of a stop on the way to someplace even greater. Reinvention, on the other hand, brings doubt, fear, frustration, but almost always leads to growth, innovation, progress. That doesn't mean you should give up on the thing you're recognized for. Stop dreaming of slam dunking in the NBA or guitar soloing in front of thousands of fans or winning the Nobel Prize. It just means that accepting the fact that if your dream doesn't come true, it's not an end, but a necessary step on the road to becoming something you never dreamed you could be. Michael Kalish has spent his life and career reinventing himself and how he communicates with the world. When Michael realized he wasn't going to be a professional baseball player, the talent he was first recognized for, he reinvented himself as an artist. When he started to see other artists begin to imitate his work, he didn't see it as a threat, but as an invitation to reinvent the kind of work he created. Michael learned from experience that reinventing yourself isn't just a difficult thing to do, but an even more difficult thing to do alone. He credits his ability to pivot to friends, mentors, and the community of creative minds who've helped him execute some of his most brilliant, colossal, and impactful works of art. Here's Michael in conversation with fellow Barn member, Roshi Gavechi, along with a global community that's ready to invent and reinvent themselves and the world we live
1: in.
2: So, um, Roshi, Michael, thank you both very much indeed for joining us today. Just as a a means of quick introduction, uh, uh, Roshi Gavecchi is a designer, strategist, facilitator, documentary filmmaker. I've known her for years, and she's one of those incredible ladies that always uh, brings a huge light to the room. Uh, She's known for her groundbreaking work as a creative lead. Uh, originally in a career at IDEO, one of the most prominent innovation design companies, and her superpower, to me, has been always generously amplifying the power of team and idea, which she now is applying to herself as an international consultant and guide, artist, and filmmaker. So when we were looking at uh, interviewing Kalish and his incredible work and his incredible career, he was a natural to be able to facilitate this as a deep-rooted art passionista. So. Roshu Getschi, thank you so much for doing that for us.
1: Happy to be here. Uh,
2: brilliant. Thank you. So um, Michael's a friend through a mutual friend, Greg Seuss, who's a spectacular Barner friend who came out to Bali. And um, he said he's got this incredible friend who's doing some incredible work in the world of art. And as soon as he mentioned Michael Kalish, memories of some of the incredible pieces that I've seen over years uh, flooded back. Um, he's known as a contemporary artist, a sculptor creating art out of message. And probably the work that he's known for best is how he took the display of uh, Americana and the uh, number plates that we see on every vehicle around the world a sort of a, a blend of familiarity that we've often dismissed. And he brought that from, you know, the, 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 the streets, onto the walls of galleries. He transformed it from throwaway disposable imagery into meaningful magnetism, um, where the likeness of people like Marilyn Monroe, The Beatles, Mickey Mouse, Muhammad Ali, Obama, these incredible pop artists sort of influenced through the Warhol and the Lichtenstein movement, brought to life a whole movement of pop art that really has inspired a nation. Uh, When I saw the Muhammad Ali piece done outside the Staples Center, this massive concert-like form, it was just mind-blowing, especially when you could walk past it and see the dimensions of art. So realistically, the whole NFT world is is down to Michael. He invented it. So I'll I'll give you that credit, Michael. Um, I'll take it. (laughs) Yeah, take it. Take that and a commission for everybody. Um, He's got giant abstracts. uh, There's recycling of all different forms, uh, the flowers. That he's been creating these exhibits at museums and galleries in Stockholm, Geneva, New York, all over the world, hasn't dissuaded this chap, this chap from being uh, an awesome bloke. And uh, after our quick chat about motorbikes, I like him even more. So it's an absolute honour to have somebody of such grounding and such talent, but such impact into the arts world, and to explore a conversation with you today. So, Michael, thanks again for coming off set from yesterday after a long trip of, of busyness. And joining the Elevation bomb community. Thank you so much. What an awesome intro. We need to open a gallery together. We should do. Let's, uh, let's do I'm, honored. I'm, I'm honored to be here. Thank you so much. You got right. it, mate. Got it, mate. So, Roshi, I will hand the mic to you. Thank you in advance. And um, please, again, if you have questions or thoughts, pop them in the chat and we'll dive into those later.
1: Excellent. Well, I'm really excited to be here, uh, Michael Kalish. A pleasure um, to just have this chance to get to know you in this intimate setting, I thought if you'd be willing, um, we could kick it off with a little bit uh, of a fill in the blank appetizer type thing to get us going. And then we could settle into more conversation. Does that sound all right?
3: Love it. Awesome.
1: All right, so just think of whatever comes to mind, the briefest answer, and we'll clip through a few, a few rounds. All right, Sounds first good. one. And if you, if you wanna repeat anything too, just to give yourself time to think of your answer. That works well too. All right. One word to describe how I'm showing up right now is innovative. Uh, today I'm joining this conversation from
3: Los Angeles, California.
1: And then with this one, say, like, maybe say the full sentence, but um, okay. uh, think of three adjectives and think of like the type of artist and sculptor you are. So I'm known to be a blank, blank, and blank artist.
3: I'm sorry, I got to use that word again. I I believe I'm known as someone who looks at the world differently, is innovative uh, and experiential. And I try to imbue that in almost everything I do, no matter how big or small.
1: Amazing. If my closest family members and friends were to describe me in three words, they would say I'm...
3: Oh my God, I'm trying to phrase this so I don't sound too uh, pretentious. I mean, I, I... I'd love to think that they would say I'm kind, um, interested and passionate.
1: Sounds like we, we you nailed the, the, the guest uh, tonight, Will. <laughs> We're <laughs> in great company. Um, okay, so for something a little lighter, one color I could live without is?
3: Well, can, I might have to answer that a little differently. And I don't know if, um, I, Will, we even talked about this. I'm colorblind. And it runs in my family, father, grandfather, great grandfather, son, brother. So a lot of my early work and certainly work now is very primary colors, but there's one color I couldn't live without um, and it's black.
1: Amazing. I love how these questions just open things up that we don't anticipate. Uh, one state I never got a license plate from is?
3: Oh, that is. These are such good questions. Um, I know way too much about license plates or numbered plates and way too much about the states here, but one state, I believe I have gotten license plates from every single state, but let me answer that differently. The most difficult is probably Hawaii, believe it or not.
1: Fascinating. It's really hard not to ask follow-up questions, but I'm trying to honor the cadence right now, and then we can always come back. Uh, Okay. Uh, the next three questions, I think, a little bit in terms of a set, uh, but that could just be in my head. When it comes to each thing I create, what I care about most is
3: the story, and if I like it.
1: When it comes to the universe, I'm most concerned about.
3: There are me- there's so many things that come to mind. Um, taking care of this planet and kindness.
1: When it comes to the metaverse, I'm curious about
3: every single detail. And I became, it's very funny you asked that. I am very immersed in that. Do And we can talk about it a bit if we have time um, for an event. I'm a part of the Super Bowl here in my backyard in Los Angeles and am I'm a part of a, a meta event. And so I'm being downloaded and all that as we speak.
1: We're definitely going to talk about the metaverse cool. and the Super Bowl. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> uh, one regret I've had in my journey as an artist is?
3: I don't have a, a terrible amount of regrets, but I would say, even though I'd like to think I take as many chances as possible, not pushing that even further, um, certainly early on.
1: Not pushing what further? The, the
3: innovation, um, you know, you know wh- what it is that I do, and the scale of the work, I would say, is probably a better way to phrase it.
1: Got it. And then th- this is the last one of this first part. Um, I wish people would ask me more about blank. My kids. Tell us about your kids, please.
3: <laughs> uh, what a great answer. It's next to or in front of what I get to do every day uh, is, is I'm so passionate about, you know, watching them, seeing them being a part um, from a creative, hopefully, too. And to an athlete and i like to go in and be a part of their art classes and teach as much as I can. And, uh, it's really, uh, I feel really lucky to, to, to watch as much as I am able to watch and my career, uh, and the flexibility, and I'm sure a lot of us agree uh, affords us that ability to spend quite a bit of time with our kids. Um, and it's, you know, the most important thing to me.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, well, thanks for playing, uh, word, you know, trusting me with this uh, first little part. Uh, I don't know about anyone else, but I, I feel like it might be a good time to see a little bit of your work, even though this is recorded for a podcast to prime us um, a little bit, and then we'll uh, dig into a little bit more of the conversation side of things if that feels right to you.
3: That sounds great. Yeah, I, let me let me jump in, um, and and I'll, I'll jump in with uh, certainly something, um, and 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 Will, you know, was elegant uh, about the way he articulated what it is that I've done. Uh, and, and I've always tried to look at the world differently, both you know outside of what I do and and what it is that I do. but let me let me start with with a piece that really was a game changer for me uh, and enabled a, an entirely new um, vertical of my career, and that's large scale public work. And uh, as much as I'm uh, lucky to to do work for a lot of uh, high profile collectors and athletes, presidents, celebrities, the greatest thing I have ever been a part of. Uh, was a a project that turned out to be the world's largest monument of Muhammad Ali. And I spent about a year and a half with the family. Let me see if I can share a couple.
1: That'd um, be great. I think as we see um, some of your work too, it'd be great to get a sense of that. I don't know if you can sum up the overarching arc of your work, but.
3: uh, Yeah, let me, I can sum it up. Let me paint like a 30,000 foot view of where I am and how I got started real quickly. And as you're looking at this slide, I'll, I'll jump into it. Um, but yeah, I, you know, I, I had a whole nother passion and career, you know, uh, before I became a professional artist and that was, uh, being a baseball player and I played in college thinking I was going to go play uh, pro and make money at it. Um, but that didn't happen. And at the time it was catastrophic. It was, you know, it gives you a really good idea of what it's like when you're so passionate about one thing and it doesn't work. Um, it, it, it worked for a long time, but, you know, turning it into a career didn't, but I but I was able to, to, to transition to something else I was passionate about, and that, that's art. And that long, you know, decade journey of living on people's couches and living in small places in Manhattan and trying to make art and doing the things I needed to do. But I, I, I always knew where I was going to take it. But for me, it was a continuation of, Will, what you were mentioning about looking at the world differently, um, as much as I wanted it to be spontaneous and authentic which is, um, I know it's an overused word, but I use it as much as I can. Uh, I wanted to, I knew I needed to invent something and invent a medium. And that's where the license plate um, collection came from. And I was traveling across the country for two years, collecting old license plates, not knowing what I was going to do with them, but knowing that I wanted to invent. medium, And that put me on the map, uh, really. And I started kind of growing from there and working with bigger galleries and some museums and started elevating uh, my work into different mediums. Uh, I was, I gotta tell you, it was was a medium that became so successful, it started getting knocked off. Uh, And I was seeing a a ton of people making my work and it was really, really hard to see. Uh, And I had a really great conversation that was a turning point for me with a collector of mine, this really, really cool guy who was an inventor himself. from Paducah, Kentucky. Uh, and he invented Dippin' Dots, the little ice cream beads, you know, those little ice cream beads and they are, it was an incredible concept and it took off, but he ha- had some similar issues, much larger dollars at the time. And he, we had a conversation about it. Um, and he said to me, listen, you need to go be more creative. Don't get stuck in this. Who's doing, you know, copying my work or any type of litigation or that go, go positive, go create the next thing. You invented this medium, go invent the next one. It was the greatest advice for a lot of reasons. It enabled me to to really think and innovate. Uh, And so I started working in different mediums and started creating large roses out of old vintage truck tailgates, uh, old cars. And then I started working um, on a large scale. I was uh, lucky enough to be featured on a great program called CBS Sunday Morning and got an email that was Surreal, as much as I hate to use that word, um, from uh, a lady saying they're sitting here watching me and they're in bed, uh, and they'd love to commission me to do a piece. My name is Lani Ali, and my husband is Muhammad. And it was—I mean, I'm just not a starstruck person, but that's a different uh, level. And she said, "Let's meet. We'll be in LA at the Regent Beverly Wilshire next week." And we met and and kicked off a conversation with me um, being commissioned to do a small piece. Uh, But then we became really close. And for some reason, they entrusted me to create this monument uh, that you're looking at. But on the screen, you can see uh, this this piece. It's only visible uh, from one exact location and X marks the spot. Uh, But it's a a, a structure that I was able to work on with about 25 different incredible creatives led by a great architectural firm um, from Harvard called Euler Wu. And my idea, the overarching concept as an idea person was to try and continue to tell the legacy of Muhammad Ali. So my kids, our kids know who he is. Uh, And so that needed to be done by hopefully creating a a really unique portrait. So what you're looking at is 1300 boxing bags, speed bags filled with air that are hung at different heights. It was about three months of creating a, 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 a math program where these all fell. Uh, And then when you walk around the piece, and we had to fill them with air every like three hours. Um, When you walk around the piece and get to an exact location, here's what you see. All the the bags line up to to form a photorealistic image. And I I knew we had something special. I knew I came up with the overarching concept, but because we had so many brilliant creatives around, and I love that phrase um, that the greatest things in life happen when no one takes credit for them. And, this was sure, sure was my idea. And I put the the, the dots together, but never ever would have been possible without all of these unbelievable creatives, um, you know, that were able to, to, to support this. And it was in Staples center. uh, And it, it just, it was, it was, it was a real life changing thing for me. It enabled me to go in this direction of creating large scale
1: public work. Amazing. Um, I would love for the benefit of uh, people who will be listening to this uh, conversation could you describe a little bit more about this uh, monumental piece and tell us about its height and how these uh, punching bags are suspended and help us see through your words what, what you've created?
3: Sure. So what, what it is that essentially this piece is, is pixels in space. Um, and the pixels were obviously very much related to Muhammad Ali and, and their boxing bags. There's 1,300 of them. There are three different sizes, two different colors. They all had to be hand designed and made. Um, And the piece I envisioned was certainly monumental. Uh, I think at its cantilever height, it's 40 feet by 38 feet cubed. Uh, And there are thousands and thousands of uh, of miles of stainless steel cable that each little bag, and if you imagine a, a boxing bag in a gym or anywhere, it's suspended on the top and the bottom. So it holds its exact location in space but it really is a completely abstract piece and i i wanted to force people to create to create the experience by walking around it first so you could not stand in front of it you needed to walk around it and ask what what is this thing what is this and and I, I, it's it's quite interesting from all these different angles uh, but then when you circle around and get exactly 20 feet in front of the piece and it needs to be because your cone of vision changes with something at a scale this size made out of little pixels Uh, this photorealistic image of Muhammad comes up. So interesting side story, I could not find or or receive the the licensing rights for um, the image I wanted. Uh, And the image I wanted was shot by an incredible photographer who really never made it for himself, uh, but photographed, uh, now since has, and I'm incredibly proud of him, photographed what I thought was one of the best images of Muhammad Ali. His name is Michael Brennan, um, lives uh, in, outside of London. He would not sell the rights to, to, to the Ali estate, or at the time it was a different company called CKX. Uh, and I, I emailed him and from artist to artist told him how much I loved and appreciated the image and whatever we needed to do. Uh, and aside from that, wanted to see his work exposed. Uh, flew him out. He was very much a part of the exhibit was so excited to license the rights. And, and by the way, I had started this already. I'd be- begun this piece. I was about three or four months into it, pretty pregnant with the piece. And you know, these are half a million dollar sculptures to, you know, to fabricate, couldn't have been more, more graceful. I wound up getting him into a fantastic gallery where he's showing now and doing incredibly well. So it was just one of those moments where everything came together nicely.
1: Amazing really incredible. Um, and you said, you know, this was a pivotal piece. What did this work uh, change in, in the way you looked at your art or what you wanted to do next? What did it spark for you?
3: I hope this doesn't, again, come off as, uh, you know, presumptuous because it was not me. But what this told me truly is anything is possible. Because from a thought of throwing thousands of beads in the air and having them stick to form a photorealistic image of arguably the most one of the most iconic human beings to walk the earth uh, and have the support of the family and have it you know garner you know half a billion millions of impressions four or five hundred million I think is what it was and for it to work and all the everything to line up where it was exhibited at Staples Center um, you know it, it really told me that that you know with, with the right um, authentic idea and the right partners, at uh, anything is possible. Anything.
2: Mm.
1: So true. It's such a great reminder. Um, so there's a clear pattern of you like crossing boundaries or you, you said you, you know, you were playing baseball and you shifted to art. You were working with, you know, you basically took license plates off the road and into galleries. <laughs> you've, you've transformed um, what, uh, punching bag is used for to help people see something in a new way uh, what are you working on these like currently um, that that echoes that that tendency you have to really turn something on its head or make us look at something differently
3: awesome I, I'd like to think that again no matter how large or small the work that is I create I, I really hope to you know to flavor it with this hasn't been done before I've not seen anything like this whether it's the Composition, the medium, things that a piece may do—capturing light, interactivity. I just showed a new series of pieces at Basel uh, with my gallery there, and it was—it was great. It was great to see people out. It was great to see, um, you know, work exhibited because you know it's truly not received until it's out in the public um, and, and receives critique, positive, negative, and I love that. I love when the work is out there. But I would say specifically, I'm I'm really honored and proud that there are a couple huge, two or three, very significant, um, different scale pieces that are that that are being worked on. I'm working on a handful of commissions for some some great people, some cool athletes. Uh, But I'm involved in a couple um, pieces that that I'm really excited about. Just last week, I um, finally uh, jumped into the NFT space, uh, and again, I was. Really having a hard time understanding it um, from an artist that, you know, spends a year and a half building a complex sculpture. I needed to really wrap my head around what, what this space looks like for me. I talk to artists all the time and really believe it's our job to understand what's next. And we can't be the get off my lawn guys, even though you've been painting a certain way. This, this is here to stay. And I just needed to somehow link something physical to it. So along the way, I was approached by um, the Steve McQueen Estate, which is run by his children and grandchildren, and they um, asked me to be their NFT artist. So this was an opportunity for me to create the next portrait. I had not created a portrait of scale uh, since the Muhammad Ali. So just last week, we finished the piece and shot it. Uh, and as I was uh, we're talking about Triumph Motorcycles, which has a great relationship with the McQueen Estate, he drove that motorcycle uh, in the Great Escape. Uh, became a great partner and dropped off some bikes. And without telling too much of the story, and I I hope that this will be released pretty soon, uh, the 35-foot portrait was painted photorealistically with a Triumph motorcycle running through um, uh, enamel paint. And it was very interactive, incredibly unique, very messy, but it worked. And, And I think that's a great thing also is you just don't know sometimes. I'd like to think that the things that I create are going to work. The Muhammad Ali in particular, I was like, I'd like to think I'm a calm dude, but I was a nervous wreck up until the last bag was hung. Will this look like him? Um, so this was a similar experience. It worked out beautifully uh, and, and that was wrapped. So I'm really excited to see it's going to be handled by Sotheby's. I believe they're going to be auctioning off the bike uh, and then the NFT is going to be a part of that. So there's this you know, experience that holds hands with something physical. And I feel like for me, I'm a big fan of this. It's the wild west. There's a lot of noise out there, but I needed to really, hopefully, combine both of those things um, for me. Um, I, um, I would say the next big thing um, that I'm working on, and it's been an ongoing project for over 25 years, but has really come to fruition.
1: Are we going to get the to last little thing?
3: Oh, let I? I me mean, let me inject. That oh meat. no,
1: there's a, there's a lot. There's a, there's actually that like questions popping up. I I know uh, we definitely want to get that. back. Okay, yeah, the Super Bowl. And you said the word documentary to me earlier when we were catching up, and there's just so much that you are involved in. Um, so I'm wondering if we can hear a little bit and then invite questions in so that uh, we just allow the conversation to flow uh, a little bit.
3: Please stop me anytime. As I was mentioning, I'm that I open the refrigerator the door and the light hits me and I'll start talking. So no, will, it's so good. There's yeah. so
1: much we want to hear.
3: <laughs> so I'll talk about the Super Bowl because it's 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 relevant and it's timely and it's in my backyard. I'm inv- involved in in one charity um, called the Big Game Big Give, which raises a tremendous amount of awareness and money for a variety of different charities. Uh, also sets up um, nonprofits for celebrity athletes and, that's um, and the, raises the big a ton.
1: Game. That's the Big Game Big Give.
3: It's called the Big Game Big Give, and over the past you know I guess eight years, I've been their feature artist uh, and been commissioned. Everyone from Michael Phelps uh, to um, Jim Brown uh, to just really, really great people that they honor, and then a ton of money is, is raised through my through my work. So this year's event was was planned at a, at a place here in Los Angeles, hosted by Rob Lowe and myself, being the artist. But as the, the CEO of the um, of the company, um, Mark Pollux was seeing that people were still a little uncomfortable with COVID, uh, even though there's a lot going on in this city. I can tell you. I mean, there's just there are a lot of events going on, but he, he actually um, uh, transitioned really nicely. Facebook, Meta, heard about it. They were mildly involved and became very involved to the tune of building out this space uh, in the metaverse. A hundred celebrities were invited. I just had an Oculus delivered to me yesterday and created an avatar, which is bizarrely looks like me. And you, they're gonna, there is going to be my work. Physically, the work is typically at this event. And people bid on it, and it raises all this money. Uh, and I obviously get to meet all kinds of you know great people and, and uh, raise all this you know uh, awareness. This is going to be virtual. Uh, it's it's unbelievable. I mean, th- th- I put this on yesterday, and I just I'd done it before, but not quite to this extent. And it is it is absolutely incredible what can be done rendering art and sculpture a little remedial, but you, but you, but you see it. And so essentially, this this. Uh, event is going to be in the metaverse uh, and there are tickets that were sold and I get to you know meet and greet people along with uh, Rob Lowe as my little avatar and sell work virtually.
1: That's amazing. It's uh, really um, incredible to also see how you've transitioned from these large-scale pieces to this like you know it's like the wild west as you said this new terrain.
3: Totally. Let's so see if I can pull up another. Uh,
1: another image?
3: In- yeah, we'll just follow it in the background while we're chatting.
1: Um, sure. And one of the questions that might be relevant uh, on some level to this is from Brett. Um, Elliot, Brett, would you like to ask a question or would you like me to read it?
3: Sure, I can ask it. Yeah, it's a simple question. Um, you know, for the for the uninitiated, and I don't think anyone really understands what precisely is an NFT and what's fascinating about at the NFT for you. And given we're in the early, I mean, remember in the early stages of the internet, it was an unknown thing. Everyone needs a website. You don't know how to build one. Or why are you going to do it or how to monetize it? And so we're kind of in this very early birthing of this phenomenon. So I'd love to hear your view on that as an artist. That You mentioned something that we were just talking about today um, as it relates to NFTs and crypto. And it, exactly what you said, we were talking about that uh, you remember the early stages of the internet and where it went. And we certainly feel like we are at the early stages, you know, both of crypto and, and, and NFTs. You know, I, I think I know enough to be mildly dangerous. And I'm excited about jumping in without having thought too much about it. Sometimes that's important creatively, not to overthink something. Uh, but at the same time, You know, the NFTs that I was aware of and certainly I partnered with a company that had just released an NFT for Tupac and it sold very well. It sold out. It wasn't enough for me. And I like it. It wasn't enough for me um, to do that. And I believe it was a medallion that just moved and caught the light. And it was really unique. Um, And maybe I'm going about this wrong. Maybe not. But for me, I needed to set up uh, a pretty significant production of the making of this piece. Um, certainly the piece, you know, they'll, they'll kind of, you know, extrapolate certain NFTs. One hero piece of the making of this portrait will go to somebody along with a bike that made it. And then kind of little interstitials that'll be pulled out um, and sold as an open edition. And I, I love that, too, because I feel as if uh, as an artist that comes from South Georgia, um, built my name off going into flea markets and junkyards uh, and every man's material. Um, you know, it's really kind of, you know, a juxtapositioning of where it is that I was influenced by the stories I heard across the US. And I'm drinking beer with one hand and champagne with the other, because the work and the medium, these old truck tailgates and pieces and lights went into museums and galleries. And this, this certainly be the first time that will help, I think, democratize the art world by making things more affordable. And I believe my kids and our kids will certainly collect um, NFTs. And this might be You know the way they collect art, so I I should be able to answer that better in about three weeks. But I'm 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 excited to to, to jump in with what we created.
1: Amazing, thank you. Uh, Did you want to cue up what uh, the next piece of work that you'd like us to uh, chew on, brew on, get inspired by? Absolutely. And then I noticed there are a couple questions that have to do with your transition. Uh, from your, uh, or your life before you were an artist as well. It will wait. Okay.
3: Just in the background, this piece um, I created about uh, three years ago and it went on tour. And it, it was, for me, using the word love as a verb and, 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 and love for me about everything, my, my wife, my kids, things I'm passionate about. It's not love. It's, it's, it's the act of finding it. It's the art of finding it. Um, and you're seeing this piece, it's at a public location here in Los Angeles called The Grove. Uh, and, it's, and it was there. And you're seeing it like the Ali dead on. But when you walk around this piece, uh, it's 20 feet, um, uh, 40 feet by 20 feet by 20 feet. It's just this abstract series of shapes. Uh, but when you stand right in front of it in a certain place, it, it forms the word love. What I didn't know about this is that people were walking around in it and sitting on it. And it was just really, really cool to see people in love. They were sitting in, inside the piece, not knowing what it was until they backed up. So I'd done a series of smaller versions of these. Um, but this was this was a really this was a really, um, really neat um, place, a public place to, to, to place a piece.
1: I was trying to think of a good pun, like falling in love, depending on the had, scale. Of this piece. I know but
3: I, had, I had I had it had to be so on the nose. I, you know,
1: <laughs> uh, amazing to see the range of work. Uh, So uh, um, should we go to the questions that have to do a little bit more with your life before um, you became an artist? Uh, Paul, would you like to ask the question or would you like me to? Uh,
3: Sure, I can I can jump in. Hey, uh, nice to meet you. Um, I was just curious. I was just curious. Did you play your college ball here in SoCal or was that uh, someplace else? It was somewhere else. I played baseball. Uh, or I thought I was going to play baseball at the University of Alabama, where I went and realized okay. uh, there were some 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 big boys there and, and wanted to play and not sit on the bench. So I transferred to a smaller school that actually had a really great art program in Atlanta, Georgia, called Kennesaw State. And I was um, a, a, a playing ball there and, and an artist to two wildly different fields. but yeah. Uh, yeah, it was it was a good uh, it was a good place. Good place. Awesome. Thanks. Yeah. It feels like that might
1: transition well uh, to your question, Will.
2: Yeah. Just, you know, when you had your back injury, when you were playing, what was the transition? Obviously a lot of uh, changes in life come with that sort of a frictional, a a big impact thing that happens. Um, What was that process of transitioning into an artist? And were you an artist? Did you class yourself as an artist before? Were you whittling away and creating things? Did your fellow teammates know you as an artist and how did they accept or ridicule you for saying you know now I'm an artist? I have an answer for
3: this. I I, I was always inventing and doodling and came from a family of an inventor my father and my mother as a um, as an art teacher for 30 years uh, in public school system so I always had it and I was always doodling and doing things uh, and trying to again look at things differently Um, but Never really thought about it as a profession until baseball was taken away. And at the time, it wasn't painful. It was cr- catastrophic. It was, it was I, couldn't, I could not figure out how to get up and move on because this was a passion. And I remember I had this conversation with some, some people and some of the best advice, simple, profound, was you just take that same passion and the word that was used was insouciance, the same passion and insouciance uh, for something else. And you'll spend the time uh, developing it, but just be passionate about what it is you do. I was lucky to have another passion as, a, as an artist. Um, but at the time it took me a long time, a long time to transition from one thing to another. I was really upset, I was really angry. Um, and I'd say the very first piece of art I made was through that process. I love, you know, pieces of Americana, it obviously has informed and influenced a lot of my art. Uh, and that includes like old bats and gloves and I, loved my baseball glove and cared for those gloves ever since I was young. And I had them ever since I was in little league all the way through and through high school and through college. And I didn't know at the time, but I was, it was cathartic, but I, you know, angrily dove into cutting them up, Um, you know, as kind of the ending of something and wound up sewing them together to make this pillow. And that was the very first piece of art I made with all of these old baseball gloves that were taken from a functional form into something else. And I have it here, here in my house. Um, and that was like the very first thing I ever made truly that I said, this is, you know, an, an abrupt end, but hopefully, you know, that one door closes and another and another opens. I'll tell you being in the South and South uh, Georgia is, and being an athlete and a baseball player is no place at the time to be an artist. It was, It was not understood. Uh, and probably my favorite story was when I became a junior and I was the captain of the team at the time. Uh, and that team actually wound up winning the College World Series. Um, I took a nude figure drawing class every Tuesday and Thursday. And the coach knew that's it. And it didn't take long for a few of the guys to figure out what, where I was and what I was doing. And, you know, when you're drawing a live model, nude model, you know, there's like butcher block paper, obviously, that blocks out the window. And I'll never forget. I'll never forget. um, There was a piece of the of the paper that was peeling off the corner. And I saw, you know, a pair of, you know, six, six pairs of eyes kind of peering through (laughs) with me drawing this live model. And my God, did that open up Pandora's box. Um, as to what I was doing. Because though again, to use that word, those things are just so wildly dichotomous, you know, an at athlete and artist. Now, not so much you see a lot of you know creatives who were former athletes. Uh, but it was uh I got ridiculed, but they became such great um like fans recently. I just went back after almost all this time, uh, about uh two months ago to spend some time. But yeah, it was it was an amazing process uh and uh and you know le- led to all this. I was Really lucky to, to, to find myself falling into something else I was passionate about.
1: That's amazing. Um, awesome. I, was, I was thinking about uh, when I asked you earlier in the conversation, uh, when it comes to the universe, you know, what are you most concerned about? And you paused and you really thought about um, the list is not short. Uh, and I, I gathered that you were also involved in doing something in the city of Los Angeles uh, through documentary work and I, given that yes. your work already addresses things in humanity or pays homage to people that we know I was wondering if you would be open to sharing a little bit about what you're doing in LA these days
3: yeah absolutely and and to tag on to, to that you know I, I would say that the things that I, how I answered that question is a great question but 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 also we're you know we're just we're so divided. We just are so divided as people in this country, in this world. Um, and, and it's hard. It's hard to see LA, Los Angeles um, is, is is one of my favorite places in the world, but it's a really tough place to live right now. Um, it's a really dirty city. And so when I lived in New York, I'll never forget, you know, beginning what it is that I do. Uh, and I began conversations because like license plates, I started noticing homeless signs and I was reading these homeless signs and they were just you know so honest whether they were or they weren't um, and and informative and simple and I remember having conversations with people um, holding up signs both on the subway and the street uh, about about them and their lives just wanting to know and you know having a cup of coffee and I used to meet a couple of people um, every week once a week to hear their story and it took me a long time because I wanted to somehow like buy a piece of them or acquire something. And it was the homeless sign that very few people wanted to give up. And I wound up trading and bartering for dinners and meals. And I wound up finding myself collecting stories, collecting homeless signs. Fast forward how many years later here in Los Angeles, there is probably no bigger issue or one of the top issues going on around the country, but certainly Los Angeles, San Francisco. Um, And I had told this story about uh, 10 years ago, when I was um, got to host a television show on the Discovery Channel. And the producer I told this story to called me about six months ago and he said, I never, ever forgot that story. Uh, we want to do a documentary uh, and l- let's hear what this is. And it's really not the story that everybody knows. Um, it was informed by true stories. Down the street here, there's a woman that sleeps on a, on a park bench. She's 80 plus and she's Israeli and she was a first string cellist in the Israeli Philharmonic, and she's found herself here and homeless. And we all know those stories. And I got to be honest with you, it's frustrating, even though I am, you know, very much a part of this and would love to believe I care. It is hard to watch this. It's hard, you know, as somebody who lives in the city to see it. And it is very hard to see people passing by people on the streets, like their signs and they are everywhere. So what can I do I don't know. I don't know. There are people way smarter than me who have got to figure this out. But at the least, I believe I can tell some stories of the lost art. And when I say the lost art, I mean teachers, um, parents, artists, writers, poets, musicians, and all the things they lost and how they got there. And the intent is to hear the story um, and then create 30-foot portraits of each of those people um, and, and show them and have them be a part of it obviously every, and, and, and have them at auction and all the proceeds going to a fund, uh, but just to humanize this, to humanize this, because I truly find myself getting angry. Um, and that's a, just this knee-jerk response um, to living our lives um, and going from point A to point B and being disrupted by something in the street. Um, and, and it is hard. I mean, it is really difficult to see, but in, in, in some way, maybe large, maybe huge, uh, maybe small, maybe to tell some of these stories that these people are human beings uh, and how do I tell that creatively? So mm-hmm. that's currently being shot, which is really exciting. And the stories are profound, incredible. And it's exactly that. It's a former professional athlete. It's a school teacher. It's a first string, you know, cellist in the in Israeli um, philharmonic living on a park bench. Um, and so I'm excited to tell that story, hopefully raise some awareness and, and humanize what is terrible, terrible Uh, Epidemic.
1: Uh, Yeah, it's really hard to follow up with that other than to say it's so great that you are doing that work because more of these stories need to be um, seen and heard. Um, It might transition well to Al in Indonesia, who has a question just about what it means to be an artist. Al, would you like to chime in?
0: Yeah, thank you. Uh, I I was just wondering because I remember my neighbor, um, how their parents, you know, live in Indonesia as an artist still. Consider as a, you know, not stable profession that people can choose. And, you know, I remember my neighbor is struggling because their kids love to, um, you know, paint and do stuff with their can, can of paint. Um, but, um you know, um, I was just wondering, since this is going to be a podcast and people might or might not hear it in here in Asia, but, you know, is there something that you can say to them, you know, just to keep them going with their patient, patient, of you know, being an artist
2: to young people.
3: You nailed it. Patience. Um, it is. It is very. It is not for the faint of heart. I, I believe you know all of us who have you know kind of forged an alternative path. Um, you certainly have to keep believing every moment, every day that um, you know that what you're doing um, is is meant to be. Um, but I, I would say, and I know again, this word is, is, is used a lot, but you're know, truly being authentic it's it's certainly a conversation I've had with myself many times about not just making things that make money, uh, making things that you know I'm passionate about, hopefully make an impact and that's a hard thing to do, especially living in a city like los Angeles um, which is which is incredible and I think is the, one of the creative capitals of the world right now, but not cheap so you obviously have to create things that uh, afford the ability to, to for me to have a staff of eight people working but it's not, you know, I've tried to really keep telling myself and the people around me that you just can't lead with money. And you have to create things um, that are that are that are truly authentic. In fact, I spoke about this at our Basel five years ago, when um, mm. when I was asked to be the keynote speaker then I talked about that, that anything's possible with authenticity. So it's a long road. But again, I used to tell myself, someone has to make it, why not me? Mm. Um, and you just keep keep forging and you keep innovating. I keep creating. Um, and and I think things will come together, n- not knowing when they will, but they do.
1: It's interesting awesome. to think about how we uh, strike a balance. And I was wondering, Greg, uh, would you like to pose your question right now?
3: Yeah, I was curious, just from that creative standpoint, when you're working with a brand, how, like, how do you feel about it? You know, because you're you're an artist, the brand has their idea of what should be happening you have your idea of creatively is it is it fun for you is it stifling is it um you know something that you look forward to like what when you have an assignment working for a brand what's your state of mind like as an artist how do you how do you think about it how do you go into it I've often thought about that and I've I've never had the opportunity like this to be able to ask that question thank you so much Um, it's challenging I don't have to tell, you know, people here listening in and, and on the Zoom, um, you know, that that pull of, you know, a, a brand working with an artist and staying on message. I, I have been a part of some really cool brands. Being in Atlanta, I was the Coca-Cola artist two years ago and worked with Perrier Jouet. I'd say that a great reference for me was when I worked with a pharmaceutical company. Um, and that was really interesting because they wanted to commission me to create a piece of art that was raising awareness for a breathing disorder. Uh, and it was, wound up being the largest commission of my life. Um, but at the same time, I could not have just a billboard created. It needed to be something else. And it, that was a real um, struggle, but, but, but really at the end, we realized it was the right decision about creating something authentic, kind of, you know again, on brand for me, and then through the discovery process, learning why this is here. And it wound up being this large-scale series of um, 24 massive pinwheels to symbolize breathing that toured the country, and we wound up h- helping screen, you know, four million people for this breathing disorder. Uh, and but it needed to be art first. And I feel like brands now are much more understanding uh, about leaning on the creative and and, and the artists, assuming it's um, you know it's the right message uh, and and relates to their brand. For me, when I was the Perrier Jouet artist, it was simple, and I was and it was, I spoke with the president and I said, why don't people drink champagne more? Um, Why, 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 when I call you, Will, to go, you know, connect and, you know, we say, let's grab a beer or let's grab a scotch. You don't, no one ever says, let's go grab a champagne, um, a glass of champagne, unless it's a graduation, you sold your company. So why why can't this be more familiar? And that was true and they loved it. Uh, And so I tried to articulate that through this piece I built, but I, I feel like it's a, it's a big job for the artist to understand a brand Greg, like before embarking on creatively, what, what we're doing.
4: Thank you for that.
1: There's, um, there's more, I'm like trying to toggle between the questions that we have. Alex, why don't we hear from you? And then we're going to wind down to honor our time with Michael Kalish.
4: Great. Yeah. Thank you very much. Uh, Oh, yeah, well, it's brilliant, but um, Michael and Roshi, thank you so much for dedicating your time and sharing it with the uh, with, with the community. Um, amazingly insightful, Michael, love love your work. Um, I'm currently doing something uh, in the uh, sneaker space, so having Nike in the background there is really relevant. I've been at their London HQ all day today and, um, and resonate a lot with what you said. So I was an athlete at a university in America, it didn't work out. Uh, in fact, I was so bad I ended up working for Will at the attic. That's how bad I was. Um, but Will's been was a mentor, and I owe him a great deal for inspiring me into the creative industries. So one of the things that really um resonated was like we sit, so you sit behind a car every day and you see this 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 tag plate, this registration plate. And it's something that's so familiar to us, right? And it has this really clear graphic language and it has this super strong typography and you've upscaled it and reimagined it in a way that's, that's really truthful to its origins and created images that everybody um, clearly has fallen in love with. Um, so we're trying to do something, something similar in terms of um, the really high-profile case at the moment, Virgil Abloh's uh, Louis Vuitton Nike sneakers that have just uh, done incredibly well at Sotheby's. So he started out upscaling things. So he bought dead stock from um, Ralph Lauren, And he upscaled them and he customized them. And I'm just wondering now with the challenges that we have when we're speaking to the major brands, how do we take all the waste that's being created and how do we reimagine that and create, you know, potentially huge, large-scale art installations or even upscale those items and reimagine them? So give access to kids who can't afford $100 for a pair of sneakers. But how how could they be given the education, empowerment, and the creative confidence to reimagine those silhouettes and repair and replenish something up to a standard where they would be proud to wear something that's truly individual and unique. And I know this, so it's like a really woolly question, but I just find there's so much intersect between what you've done and what we're trying to do. I just find it really inspiring. So, uh, and, and well, I think the fact that the whole Thank session you. is managed by someone who's from the world of design and the world of art and the point that you know these these speed the speed balls that you had have been designed for a particular purpose, like a sneaker is designed to solve a performance problem for an athlete. A speed ball is designed to train an athlete to make them you know uh, you know quicker and more reactive. And you've taken that in context and reimagined it into a huge piece of public art, um, which is all about perspective and the way that you view things and, and how it comes together. So reimagining things that were designed for a particular purpose. Reimagined through the eyes of an artist to create something that everybody loves i just think there's something wonderful in that hugely inspiring and um i don't know if there's anything else to to comment to that if you want to come back on michael feel free but i just wanted to share that with the group and i'm just again very grateful for everybody's time on this call
3: thank you so much so thank you so much you're 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 speaking my language i have 10 ideas right now of what (laughs) we can do but it's you know it's socially responsible and I feel like I was upcycling, you know, before it was hit too, you know, 28 years ago. Um, but I think it's a big responsibility. And I'd imagine Nike would be, you know, as such an innovative brand that understands is 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 so aboard um, you know, you know, the things that hit the cutting room floor. And to me, that's yeah. a lot of the good stuff, you know, what we can do with that. Um, you know, not not so much as, you know, upcycling, but what you know, how how it can be viewed as something that as waste turned into something that's beautiful. So cannot wait to hear more about that and you know certainly working with a nike um is brilliant um and uh i might i might be calling you at two or three in the morning with a few ideas
4: okay a well I'll, I'll 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 drop your message but yeah just thank you very much for sharing i'm sorry i didn't have thank a you so much question, but no it's a great of, a lot a lot of things resonated thank you Bye. so much
1: so as we wind down, you know, this Elevation Barn community is an amazing network of people ready to help, ready to make connections, ready to propel. Um, so what we would like to be here in service of you, um, Michael, is there anything that you feel like w- we can do or listeners at large could think about doing uh, to propel what you care about?
3: Thank you so much. What a thoughtful you know, kind of way to, to, to put a, to um, put a button on this, but, you know, I, I, not only would I like to think that the things that I make and have made, you know, are made out of unique objects or things that, you know, aren't necessarily, you know, viewed the medium as art. I think the same comes, um, is true with opportunity uh, and where art can live. And I, I don't believe anything moves people more, or at least for me, than music and art. And I believe that what may not be, you know, a concept for a brand or a company, a nonprofit, whatever it may be, you know, in the past, how how do we innovate and help view the world differently? Um, How do we connect people? And again, music and art do that. And I believe it's a responsibility, uh, you know, for for all of us and certainly big, you know, big companies to think about, uh, you know, how they can express that. And I love the idea of thinking and working with companies that have never, kind of put that hat on um, creatively. And, and that's that nice bridge, you know, with Oprah, or that intersect of understanding how it relates to them, but again, being authentic. Uh, and, and, and that, like the medium, is just as important to me, um, you know, imbuing things creatively uh, and taking a story and turning it into something physical.
1: Amazing. Thank you so much. This has been a, such a treat. And I'm going to pass the baton to Will to close us out.
2: Oh, yeah, absolute honour. I think, Michael, I've I've been jotting quotes down and thoughts, but, you know, I think the kindred quest of all of us, I think that statement, the greatest things in life happen when not one person takes credit, that um, your your ability that I'm just putting the dots together might drop. I'm like, fuck, man, thank you for that. Thank you for putting the dots together. Thank you for making the dots of tonight come together and, and being such a generous, beautiful host. Um, thank, or, thank you so best, much. Sorry.
3: No thank really you so appreciate much. it, man. This was awesome. I am inspired, excited, and really honored that you uh, invited me to be a part. I, I, I could probably sit here and talk for you know two more hours, but I, I really yeah. really appreciate
2: um, you making me a part of this. Thank you so much. Yeah, you're very welcome. and, and Roshi, always always a legend, always brilliant and beautiful and, and what a fantastic navigation of such an interesting man and an interesting impact that he's having on the world that we can all help elevate. Uh, you're both truly elevators. So thank you everyone for joining. Um, thank you so much, Roshi, thank you. Yep, it's been a pleasure. And, yeah, we look forward to seeing you next week. Thank you so much.
1: Bye. Thank, yeah.
2: thank you. Cheers.
3: Cheers.
0: No one creates alone. Listen to Elevate Season 4, Episode 10, with Rob Hershoff, South African entrepreneur, executive, private investor, and people person.